You're listening to another podcast from Down Under Investigations. Hi everyone, my name's John and welcome to another podcast from Down Under Investigations. Over the years, we've had the opportunity to work with lawyers and law firms all across Australia and wanted to take a deep dive into their world to help you learn a bit more about them, their industry and how they can connect with us as private investigators. Today, Simon and I are joined by Paul Cott, who is the Principal Lawyer of Law on Lydiard. Paul and his team specialise in a range of practice areas such as civil litigation, wills and probate matters, building and contract disputes and so much more that we'll hear a little bit later on in the show. But without further ado, Paul, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's really my pleasure to be invited. I felt that um, was a compliment, so thanks. Oh, it's our pleasure as well. The first question we just wanted to ask you today was, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, tell us about your firm and even about what you do. Yep. Yeah, so um, obviously I'm a lawyer and a person, um, not just a person who's a lawyer, if you know what I mean. Um, so I'm a married guy living in Ballarat grew up in Melbourne um, many years ago, moved up here about 11 and a half years ago or so because I met a wonderful girl who I'm still married to. And outside of work, I guess I like to follow the football, the AFL very closely. Um, Who's your team, just quickly? Yeah, uh, Geelong. I'm, I'm going to sit there and relax tonight to watch Richmond and Port Adelaide. Tomorrow night I'll be nervous as hell. And I'll, be, <laughs> I'll do the traditional, I can barely even look at the screen because I just get too upset or too anxious or too nervous or... Too angry, so I don't, want to have to buy, I don't want to have to buy another TV because it's screen smashed or something stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I'll be, I'll be a bit nervous, but yeah. So yeah, and outside of work, you know, as well, I, I like I've got a bit of family stuff going on. Um, I've got a dog. I like to walk the dog. I like family stuff. Obviously, in Victoria at the moment, it's a bit limited as to how much we can travel and what we can do and see. Very big reader, massive reader actually. Uh, very much a big podcast listener now too. And I've got family in Melbourne, so when all this, uh, we, we open up a bit more, whenever that might be, uh, I like to visit them. Sounds great, Paul. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Ballarat? What's your favourite, maybe, restaurant, places to go in Ballarat? Well, the Craig's Royal Hotel, um, slight plug, I suppose, for them is about three doors down from me. That's a really good place um, for coffee and meeting people and so forth. Um but look, there's heaps of places in Ballarat, like there's so many. It's a real cafe and foodie culture has really developed a lot more. So it's really hard to, to pinpoint one favourite place because there's so many and you've got so much variety. You've got, you know, everything you want up here. So it's really good, you know. Like I suppose maybe when I first moved up to Ballarat, I was a bit mindful that, oh, you know, because I didn't really know what, what was up here. Um, I moved up here pretty quickly after I met my wife on last night. And I thought, gee, you know, I hope they've got everything up there, you know, like running water and electricity and so <laughs> forth. But no, but um, you know, all, all the services they got, but they got everything up here. It's really good. Uh, my first memory of Ballarat is actually I went on a field trip with school in about year seven, and we went to Sovereign Hill and uh, yeah. had my wallet out when we were in the mines, and I accidentally dropped my wallet down one of the mines, never to be found again. <laughs> But visited Ballarat many times. We've uh, done a lot of files in Ballarat, served documents right through that area and through, right through Western Victoria. And um, beautiful place, beautiful place, Ballarat. I actually dropped my wallet um, in it the is. lolly shop, actually. Yeah, I dropped my wallet, especially with those raspberry bullets. It's, uh, it's awful. <laughs> it's terrible. But yeah, so how, how did you uh, sort of get into the legal industry, Paul? How did, how did that all begin for you? Well, I, I was working in the bank, and I, I'd worked in the bank since the start of my working career, and I'm talking about 
maybe late 20s at this stage, and I thought, you know, I'm not really that happy. It's not really challenging me. I'm not really interested enough. And I thought, you know, you're going to be at work for the next 40 years. And rather than just going through the motions that treating as a job, I wanted a career, something I was passionate about, something I was interested in. So I read everything I could get my hands on, um, as I still do. Um, just, but this, in this case, just to find out what I was really interested in, what, what, you know, what, what, when I picked up a book, did I not put down, and what did I really get some interest and want to keep reading? And I decided that law really interested in me. Luckily enough for me, I'm still interested in it. I haven't lost my interest in it, which is good. Um, and so I, I decided to work out what I wanted to do. I applied first year, I didn't get in. I applied the second time round, and when I applied the second time round, I said, um, I know that I failed last time, I've got no idea how much I failed by, but I'm going to keep continuing to annoy you people for the rest of my life until I get in. So you should give me a go and let me in second time round. I don't know whether that had any, had any effect on me getting in, probably none at all, um, but I got in the second time round, and so I started my law degree in my early 30s. That's brilliant. And whereabouts did you study? Uh, through Deakin University off campus. Excellent. Yeah. That's uh, sort of late to make a start in law. Do you? Uh, how's that sort of been with your career? Do you feel like having a little bit of life experience has affected the way you've approached law? Yeah, de definitely life experience. And also, by the time I actually did start, I had a few jobs. So I worked in the bank, but then I also worked at the tax office for a while, state trustees, and then ANZ Bank as well. So I had a bit of like commercial um, background knowledge and experience behind me as well. And life experience, all those things, without a doubt, they help because law is about, it's not about the law, you know, it's about people. Yeah. That's what it's about. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We're in the people business, people industry, yeah. aren't we? And the service industry, and we're about customers and clients. I know we're a profession, but we're really more a people service business. That's exactly right. So can you explain to us what types of legal issues and uh, legal uh, areas you guys focus on and, and what you specialise in? Yeah, so I do um, a lot of employment law, and that's building up more to probably getting up towards 50% of my practice now. So when I say employment law, you might say, well, what, what does that mean? But it means, um, you know, anything to do with employment contracts, reviewing or drafting them, but more particularly a lot of work surrounding unfair dismissals and adverse mm. action or general protections, unlawful um, stuff in the Fair Work Commission. Um, JobKeeper, obviously, at the moment, stand-downs, redundancies, bullying as well is a, um, a big part a bit of a part of what I do. And so that's employment law. I do commercial litigation as well, which is a smaller part. Um, so that can be anything, anything, any disputes regarding money, family law or criminal law. And I do so also a little bit of building domestic building dispute work in VCAT to do with homeowners yeah. and disputes with builders. And then of course, at the tail end of there is um, some wills and estates, probably about the last 10% of the work that I do. Do you, do you by any chance have, you know, like a particular case that was a highlight to you, maybe to you and your team as well? Yeah, look, there's been quite a few, but one sticks out fairly recently in the employment laws where I acted for a guy who um, had a, a slight, a very slight disability, had some issues at work. We lodged a claim in the Fair Work Commission. He got another job, which was great. Resolved the matter before even having to go to a conference. He wanted a particular outcome. We said to the other side, let's get that. Do, 
can we seek that outcome? They said yes. He moved on, and he's put a, a magnificent, probably the best review of my services I've, I've got from that particular person. So that was a really good outcome. That's not that long ago. We saved him money. He got another job through the process. He's happy now, and it was all you know. That was really good. That I mean, that that sticks out in my mind. Or and and also another one very recently actually, where we basically resolved the matter in a day or even half a day. A guy had, professional esports guy, had some videos up that were a bit derogatory about him. We sent a letter out, removed them or else. Um, two hours later, they were removed. We sent um, a wow. request to someone else to do something else about his account. That was achieved by the next morning. Um, all done and dusted within half, half a day. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's exactly like what you said before. It's, it's not just, I think there is potentially a stigma that that there's a lack of care, but it's it's we're dealing with people's lives here, and I think it's it's you can you can hear in what you're saying that it, you're going beyond just you know filling out files and contacting people and all that sort of stuff. It's it's genuinely a desire to help people so that they yeah, that's can, right. You know, because there's always a lot at stake. I mean, for the first guy that I mentioned, that his whole employment, his whole career was at stake, and he was only a young guy. Yeah. And then the second guy was a young guy as well, maybe even younger where he had sponsorship opportunities where sponsors were saying, well, hang on, if this video is associated with you, why should we even look at you? Wow. That can hurt his career in the long run. Definitely that sort of bad review or derogatory comments from random people and people he probably doesn't even know. Yeah, well, he knew the guy um, and it was, I'll put it this way, had racist connotations. So, of course, people look at that and think, well, you know, they don't look on him very favourably. Not only his fellow mm. esports players, but also the people who are potential sponsors, not only now, but also for the future. So that was that was really wow. that, that that was probably the, the most cool. the fastest outcome I think I've ever achieved. Probably almost probably I reckon within two and a half hours of writing a letter, the the, the video was removed. Ah, oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So you didn't go have to go. He he removed it willingly, obviously, and uh, you didn't have to go through the courts, get court orders, yeah. and uh, have the you know, have someone else remove it at the back end. It was actually removed by him personally. So that's brilliant. What a brilliant result. Yeah, that was good. So what has been your biggest challenge in regards to your career? Uh, well, you know, that's um, how many do you want me to, to, to outline? <laughs> uh, you know, like, I mean, the law, the law is, there's a lot of fulfilment in that, but it's not easy at times. And I now in my own practice, been doing that for about two and a half years, but we, and that's got a different set of challenges to being an employee. Um, so being an employee, the hardest thing was that I'm a very autonomous person. I don't need to be directed or motivated. So as an employee, being told that I needed to do certain things at certain times on certain days and in, and, and in using certain methods, um, was always a bit uncomfortable for me. So net, but now, um, different set of challenges as a, a business owner is that um, I have to generate the work. I have to get the clients. If they don't come to me, I have to look for them in a sense. I mean, you don't just go out there and you know grab people off the street and say, "Hey, come and come and be my client." You've got to market, and then you, they've got to re come come to you as a result of all that. There's been a very very small amounts of downturn through due to COVID in the last few months, but not very much. But the bottom line is that you know um, I've got to generate the work. So that's the challenge. Is when things start to quieten down, is it going to continue to be quiet? And if so, then what do I have to do? But I, I've been lucky. I, I've had hardly any effect, adverse effect from COVID. Um, because it's 
because of um, all the employment-related issues related to COVID, there's been a bit of an uptick. Uh, also, early on in the pandemic earlier this year, there was a lot of people wanting their wills done. It stopped. There was a lot of people probably wanting to get their affairs in order in case the worst comes to the worst. But because it was an unknown thing, I think they, they panicked where they probably didn't need to. But um, it's good that they got their affairs in order because people should have a will any, at any time. But there was an uptick in wills for a period of time there too as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I guess it, sort of this sort of situation we've been going through makes you think about what's important and, and getting those things in order is uh, one of those priorities. That's right. And providing for your family because the bottom line is if you don't have a will, how you want your assets to go, it won't, it will, but it will not go how you want it to go. No, it's a massive thing organising your, your wills. I read a statistic the other day saying that over, I think it was over 40% of people, 40% of Australians don't have a current will, yeah. which is a pretty crazy statistic. I've actually seen statistics that are higher than that. I think I've seen ones that say 50% and even ones up to 60 to 70%. It's an interesting one to go down that that path, but I think one of the the greatest things that we've sort of spoken to you about is you know the fact that you know why we create wills, why we do all this is because is we care about the individual, um, yeah. which is why I wanted to ask you what what are some of the characteristics um, that you would believe make a great lawyer? Being being able to be a good listener, I reckon is probably the, almost the number one. Don't don't try and as a lawyer impose your your what you think the outcome should be or what that what you think the client might be seeking on them listen and ask them what their concerns are what their issues are and where they want to end up and how much money they may want to spend on it so being a good listener is is the number one also having some some empathy for your clients you know but then also not suffering necessarily because you know you'll see a lot of bad things in the law you'll see some people who are hurt some damaged that have suffered loss maybe been bankrupt in a worst case scenario and so forth and try not to be too affected by it um and because as we as a lawyer we have a professional obligation to remain objective but we're not robots either so we do have feelings as well and when clients hurt you know they we hurt as well to an extent and try not to let that affect you as well. So you've got to remain objective to a, to a point. That, that's the reality of it. I think you have to be good with words. Um, you, have to be a, you have to be a very good communicator because the law is all about communication. In one form or another, it's communicating a set of principles and applying it to a set of facts. So, yeah, I think they're the, I think they're the three main ones. That's brilliant, and I think you really showed that through the example you gave earlier with that employment law situation where you listened to your client, found out exactly what he wanted as a resolution, and then were able to present that to the employer um, and have a really good discussion with them and, and basically get your client the exact result that they were after rather than yeah. trying to go for some other settlement and, you know, I want to add in the paper, I want this amount of cash or whatever. It's listening to that client and understanding what their needs are and what they what they see as a win. A lot of the time you'll be surprised. If you ask a question early, what do you actually want to achieve out of this? I can almost guarantee that 50% of the time at least a lawyer will be surprised by the answer. It will not be what you expect it to be. And if you start going off and you know, doing all this other stuff on, 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 on one track and that's not where they want to be, you know, that, that's a waste of time and money. So, um, and it's easy to forget these things. As a senior lawyer, you know, you think you know where this matter needs to head. The, one of the very, even in the five, first five, 10, 15 minutes of first meeting a client, 
ask them simple questions. What outcome do you want of this? Out of this, and are you prepared to spend a bit of money? And how long do you want it? To, do you want it to take, or do you expect it to take? Because they might be unrealistic. They might think, oh, we can go and get this money recovered the next week. But if you say it's going to take six weeks, six weeks, six months, or a year. They might say, well, I'm not going to do it. And I guess being honest with them and straight with the client, you know, communicating that well, what you can actually achieve rather than promising the world. And, yeah, I'd rather That's right. over deliver and under promise than the other way around. There's a very big temptation sometimes to tell clients what they want to hear, but you just have to stay away from that. Um, you have to be tactical about it, of course. You can't, can't be too direct, but you have to be direct to a point. But you can't just tell them what they want to hear. So unfortunately, sometimes you have to have hard conversations. I think as well as that, you're, you're really clearly setting up their expectations as well. You're not saying, you know, we can do this in two weeks, and it's like, well, that was never going to happen. You're clearly going, this is what's going to happen, so that everyone knows what's, what's going to happen, and everyone's on the same page as well, which is a huge, huge aspect of the honesty approaching a client. What advice, Paul, would you give to a young person or even a middle-aged person who wants to pursue a career in the legal industry? Well, I'll say if you're a middle-aged person, don't think that you're too old. I mean, when I was at law school, I was telling somebody about this yesterday. There was a guy in our, in our class, and he was in his 70s. There was another guy who was in his 60s, I remember. There was a few people in their 40s. Um, so you're never too old. That's one thing. But if you're a young person, think about doing law. Um, don't expect it to be easy, but don't. But um, you know it's manageable. But also get a little bit of a support network around you, and get a bit of a, a mentor if you can, someone to bounce ideas off, someone to talk to about stuff. Because as a young lawyer, you might be going through things, and you might think, well, gee, am I the only one who's going through this, or am I the only one who's ever gone through this? And you, the chances are you won't be. And if you have a mentor or a couple of people that you can pick up the phone and say, oh, I'm going through this issue. What do you think? A new perspective can shine up, shine a whole new light on a set of problems. So build up a bit of a, a network around you with people. Because again, as I said before, the law is about people. And if you're a junior lawyer, even if you're in a firm, there are people still around in the firm or outside the firm. You'd be surprised how often lawyers, other lawyers want to help other lawyers, whether they're junior or not. And in particular, when they are junior, people want to help. Now, obviously, you guys, have, or you both have worked together for a, a little bit of time. Um, but Paul, we really wanted to ask you, what led you to using a private investigator like ours? Uh, an issue has often arisen over the years where, in particular, in the, where you want to preserve some documents on someone, but you can't find the person. Um, or or um, I had an inquiry recently from someone who was a family member and said, I need to locate a relative of mine who I haven't seen for a long, long time. You know, that type of thing. So. It's just where, you, so as far as locating people goes, um, it's just where, you know, you need to find somebody for various purposes. You know, I've often thought, well, you know, let, let's see where this person might be, where they might work or whatever. And you look on all forms of social media and you think, well, everybody's on social media, but some people are not. And also some people don't really want to be found on social media. So they'll have their privacy settings at the highest and you can't find any, you can't find them. So you really have to then employ a service. You've got no choice. So we actually met through being able to assist you with a file um, a couple of years ago, Paul, and uh, I think we got a great result for you. Um, how did that file uh, eventuate? How did you go uh, in the in the long run? Yeah, well, as you know, a lot of the time to to serve someone or to locate someone is one aspect of a very large matter, um, and that one was the classic symptom of that. 
in, in the end, it's sort of been resolved, but it's not. It's complicated. I'm not trying to be evasive, but um, it was good that we found the person, but the issues never ended up really being resolved, as in the bottom line was that there was no money change hands where we said money should change hands. So um, it was all a good, useful process, but yeah, nothing in the end got ultimately resolved. But you were able to have that conversation with the other party, which we yeah. did locate, and um, and find out where they were at and what they were planning to do yeah. in regards to this matter. So I guess yeah. that, in, in a sense, as much as it's not the win the client might have wanted to have, it's still a resolution to it the was. matter. Yeah. Well, well, because there's big wins and there's small wins, and that was a small win. And, you know, you, as I say, you should celebrate small wins because they were celebrated. That's right. And you got to ask the questions. If we hadn't been able to locate that person um, at all, then we couldn't have asked the questions. And, you know, your client can at least sleep a bit better at night knowing, okay, we've had the conversation. This is how it's ended up. It hasn't ended up exactly how I wanted, but... Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, at least we've been able to confront the person, have the conversation and, um, you know, get, get my great Ballarat lawyer, um, Paul, involved uh, yeah. in that conversation. That's right. So I'll be looking forward, as I said the other day, um, to giving you um, a bit more work shortly, I would say. Well, as you know, we work right around Australia. We've got a great team and, um, yeah, happy to assist in any way we can. <laughs> yeah, well, as you know, this matter was a long, long way from Melbourne, so I wasn't sure if you guys could assist, but you can, so that was great. Absolutely, absolutely. We've got team right around the state and uh, also agents right around Australia. So um, we like to see ourselves, and this isn't about us, but this is about you, but, hey, <laughs> I'll take the opportunity. Um, we like to see ourselves as the one, I guess, one-stop shop for lawyers to go to for investigations and process serving. So you don't have to try and find the local guy. We've got the local guy. So, you know, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's what we pride ourselves on. Now, we've been talking obviously about how using a private investigator has helped your locative services, but how has that helped your, your business and how has that been a, been a win for you? Because if you don't find person, sometimes in a litigation matter, if you don't find the defendant, then you, your action could, well, does stop for a while. It's, it's, it's halts completely, unless and until you might be able to serve them by what's called a method of substituted service. Um, but then, obviously, that's further cost, time, and delay involved in that process. So, what what it does is allow it, you to go in the matter from you know step three, whatever you might say, to step four. Otherwise, you could be stuck at step three, and in a worst case scenario, you could be stuck at step three forever. That's right. One thing we've done recently, Paul, with another file, um, we needed to locate someone simply because there was a, a dispute regarding the estate of a loved one, and. Um, we needed to find a party so that they could then sell the property and divide the assets. So sometimes finding people, it's not about finding people for the sake that they've done the wrong thing, but it's just that they aren't around anymore. They've moved into state, moved overseas, and um, there may be money owing. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that, that, that's right. I mean, it's not. you can't make the assumption that we want to find those people because, as you say, they've done something wrong and we want to sue you or we want to get some money out of you. It might be that they're entitled to get some money. Exactly, and that's that's exactly the case that uh, we've had just in the last 24 hours. So, yeah, found the guy, got a good result for, for another law firm. So, Paul, let us know, how, how can our listeners get in touch with you and your firm? So, obviously, I have a website, which most people do, of course, www.lawandlydia.com.au. Um, telephone 0412-483-758. I have that one with me all the time. Um, and the email address is paul at lawandlydia.com.au. 
and the usual social media channels. I'm very active on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Um, yeah, that's becoming, um, to me, a little bit more of a useful form of marketing I, I have found lately. So, and LinkedIn as well. I'll be easily to be easy to find on LinkedIn. That's brilliant. And tell us about your podcast. You also podcast yourself, Paul. I did. I nearly forgot about that. <laughs> I started the podcast in August last year. We're on a little bit of a break at the moment. We're starting up again in a couple of weeks. So that that's um, called Lydiard Law. And Lydiard, um, in case people have never been to Ballarat wondering what the hell that word is, is the main street in Ballarat where our office is located. So my practice is called Law and Lydiard and the podcast is called Lydiard Law. And that's on Apple and Spotify. So we talk about uh, such a range of topics, um, employment law, wills, building disputes, building contracts, victims of crime, redundancy, um, employment, including redundancy, restraint of trade, um, bullying, unfair dismissal. Uh, I even talk about fencing disputes, company mm-hmm. directors, annualised salaries. So I've had 29, we've done 29 episodes. We were um, releasing one every fortnight, but we've had a bit of a break at the moment. Um, and then we'll be resuming our schedule, hopefully in a few weeks again, every fortnight. So, Paul, alongside the podcast, is there any other avenues you uh, share your wisdom and knowledge? Do you publish articles or something along those lines? Yep. So I publish around about once a month, although it varies, on an industry news analysis website called Sourceable, um, S-O-R-C-E-A-B-L-E. That has articles. In fact, I write about any legal topics now uh, within my area of expertise, but, you know, um, there's people all around the world writing stuff. Uh, it's very Australian focused though. Um, it's architecture, property, um, construction and engineering. Um, and so I write them uh, irregularly, although it was every quarter, I also write an imprint, or I write an article in, an, in print in a magazine called Building Connection, which is a magazine that goes out to small business builders um, in Australia. Um, that's a couple of times I haven't um, contributed an article, so they come out quarterly um, in print, and also do the, the podcast as well. Because my idea is that sometimes if you can arm people with the knowledge, they might only need two or three questions answered. They may not need to come to a lawyer. I, I'm often surprised how often I get a call, and people say, "Oh, can I ask you a few questions?" Well, generally I, I would say no, because if you ask a question in that scenario and you give an answer that's um, ignoring or ignorant of the fact that there's other things that you should know that could change the answer, they, these podcasts in particular, they're question and answer things. And what I try to do is to say, well, what are maybe the 10 most popular questions that people might have in a particular area? Um, and I'll give them the answers to them for free. No, that's brilliant. It's, uh, you know, really refreshing to hear, you know, the way you share your knowledge and wisdom and, um, put it out there so people can learn and know and, um, yeah, really adding value to people's lives. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Paul. It was a great insight to hear some of your wisdom today. Um, as you said before, if you'd like to get in contact with Paul, you can head to his website at lawonlydiot.com.au or if you'd like to follow him on Instagram, you can also head to paul.cot. Now, as well as that, you can also follow us on Instagram. Just search Down Under Investigations and make sure you hit the follow button. But also don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we will see you very soon. Thank you for listening. For more information on how we can help, go to downunderinvestigations.com or call 1300 849 007.